careful with good. It's Vinny's View on the home of the Suns, Arizona Sports. Presented by Revitalize Weight Loss and Wellness. Eat smart, lose weight, keep it off with Revitalize. Proud nutrition partner of your Phoenix Suns. Hey, you. Yeah, you with the shovel. Digging that hole to bury the local basketball team in. You can take a break for now. What a weekend for the Phoenix Suns. If you want to be generous generous with your definition of weekend, you could start it on Thursday when the Suns held on for a shorthanded win over Kyrie Irving and the Brooklyn Nets. On Saturday, an even more shorthanded team took down the Indiana Pacers. And last night on the second half of a back-to-back, the Suns got a couple key players back, built a huge lead over the Memphis Grizzlies, and were able to hang on for a two-point win at Footprint Center. Yes, the Suns led by as many as 29 points, and yes, the Suns squandered most of that lead by the end, thanks to some passive play, a lot of fouls, and a second-half onslaught by John Morant, Desmond Bain, and Zaire Williams, who closed out the third quarter by making a 79-foot buzzer beater. Phoenix got Chris Paul back after a seven-game absence due to a sore hip, and his first half was reminiscent of the CP3 we all saw and admired before he turned 37 years old. Cam Johnson returned after a day off against Indiana for injury maintenance. Suns still without Devin Booker, Landry Shamit, Cameron Payne, and DeAndre Ayton, who missed the last two games because of an illness. Yet they knocked off a cocky bunch of Memphis Grizzlies who had ripped off 11 straight wins before losing in L.A. to the Lakers on Friday night. It's the second time in a month the Suns have been able to beat Memphis despite a skeleton crew taking the floor. And that gives you hope. As does the reality that the Suns find themselves in a real rarity schedule-wise these days in the NBA. And that's in the middle of a stretch of very winnable games. After these three straight wins, the woeful Charlotte Hornets come to town tomorrow. Then it's the suddenly reeling Dallas Mavericks and a quick trip to San Antonio for a look at the tanking Spurs. And next Monday, a home game against the the on-the-verge-of-blowing-it-all-up Toronto Raptors, followed by a matchup against the dysfunctional Atlanta Hawks. If the Suns keep playing with energy and passion they've played with in the last three contests, it's not out of the realm of possibility that they're 29-24 and before heading out on a five-game Eastern road trip in early February before the trade deadline. And that could coincide with the return of Devin Booker, and well, that could change a lot down the stretch of the season. Vinny's View, presented by Revitalize Weight Loss and Wellness. Eat smart, lose weight, keep it off with Revitalize. Proud nutrition partner of the Phoenix Suns. I just played him way too many minutes. I, I almost got him out mid-fourth quarter, but we needed, without book, we needed somebody to, you know, orchestrate a little bit, and Mikhail was a bit winded. I played him the whole fourth, played him the whole second half, actually. So I thought Chris, you know, Chris was Chris. I mean, he's a guy that can just manage certain situations. He was knocking down shots in the first half. He had 11 assists. Um, first game back to pull off that kind of a outcome is important for us. Again, especially when you don't have um, a book out there and, and campaign to alleviate him with some of the ball handling responsibilities. So kudos to him. Yeah, as Monty Williams uh, talking about Chris Paul's uh, coming back from that seven-game absence and yeah, was not easing him back in. He played 38 minutes and we both talked about it even before the show started today, Beck, mm-hmm. off the air. Yeah. Chris Paul looked like Chris Paul again for the, for the yeah. first half. Um, and he wasn't alone. 
Dario Saric, I, I don't know what those guys ate for breakfast yesterday, but Dario Saric looked like a different player yesterday, too, and they needed every bit of it. Yeah, playing the four right next to uh, to Jock Landale in the second team. Yeah, he, yes, I, I agree with that. I think that, um, so to me, it's weird. So Cam Johnson came back. The team got a boost from that. They won the game. Josh Okogie comes back on Saturday. Team gets a boost from that. He plays really, really well yeah. despite wearing a face mask. They win that. And, and it seemed to me last night, the return of Chris Paul, everybody was waiting, okay, what is this going to look like? And Chris Paul, while it, it didn't look like vintage prime Chris Paul, it was way better than what we have seen recently. And I thought the way he played in the first quarter, what did he score? 14 in the first quarter in the Fif- opening quarter? 15. 15 in the yeah. opening quarter. Uh, I, I think that really kind of energized that basketball team to, to kind of do what they did, which was, you know, lead by nearly 30 points for most of that game. So, yeah, I, I think that... um. I, I I think it says a lot about the Grizzlies and how, like you said, how arrogant they can be. Uh, but I also think that that w- when the Suns play physical and they try hard and they don't always do that, um, but when they do, they can find themselves in some games that people don't think they're going to be in. So, you know, props to them. Like you pointed out, they've got a stretch of winnable games here now. They can they can get some separation from the 500 mark and and kind of kind of reestablish things a little bit. So yeah, I was I was I was tickled with what they were able to do last night. Yeah, and it was hanging on for dear life again. It was very reminiscent yeah. of the game against Brooklyn. Uh the difference was Memphis was they had their full team. They had their full complement of players. Uh and you had a couple play a couple of those key players that really got frustrated by the Suns. Dylan Brooks uh, five fouls, battled foul trouble all night, and he's very instrumental, and he c- complained about how he's not allowed to play physical anymore. Uh, he was not a huge factor. Jaron Jackson Jr. offensively got got going a little bit late, defensively blocked a lot of shots early, but it was a frustrating night for him. Um, I thought it was a, a, just a really gutty win for, for the Suns, and anytime you can kind of shut those guys up, and, and there was a lot of chatter over the weekend, Bic, about... The Memphis Grizzlies now have taken that mantle as one of the most disliked teams in the league. They're feeling themselves a yeah, little bit. Yeah, again, and I uh, and a lot of that comes from Ja Morant. Yes. I mean, we saw what happened in Los Angeles with them over the weekend with Shannon Sharp. Yeah, that basketball team might want to win something before they get a little in over their skis with that kind of stuff. Yeah. I, yeah, they're they're creating a lot of tension and friction that they have to fight up against, and it, it, it that's not good for them. That's really immature the way they're conducting themselves. Chris Paul finished with twenty two points, six rebounds, eleven assists on the night. Uh, uh, and he talked about the stressful fourth quarter. We just got to build confidence. <laughs> you know, like I said, over the past few years, uh, that's when we've been at our best, the last five, four minutes of games. And you build that confidence being put in those situations. You know, you start figuring out the plays that you like to run down the stretch or whatnot. So we was just a little disorganized here and there, but we'll, we'll be better. We just got to get used to playing, playing together. Yeah, the previous two games against Brooklyn and Indiana, too, the Suns would start the game. They they didn't have a point guard on the floor to start the games. Mikel Bridges was pretty much running the offense, which, mm-hmm. you know, we've seen. And even at times down the stretch last night, Dylan Brooks was putting the clamps on Chris Paul. He couldn't get his hands on the ball. Mikel Bridges had to kind of facilitate the offense, which... You know, looking forward, could pay dividends in, in in big game situations when you have more of your your, your team put together. Well, even before even before they were 
pressing and playing frenetic defense like an embarrassed basketball team that had cakewalked through the first three quarters. Even in the first quarter, there were times when Chris Balls just gave the ball to McHale and said, go ahead, bring it up. Yeah. And yeah, I'm like, wow, that's something we didn't see in the last couple of years. And I want to get this in, too, because McHale Bridges had the 24 to lead the Suns last night, and that was his fifth straight game over 20 points. Yeah. And we had had the the conversations and maybe pointed a little bit of of the responsibility of the struggling offense on Mikel Bridges. Like, hey, he can't be that guy. And he's never going to be a 35-point scorer. But you hit 20-plus in five straight games when your team needs you to. Yeah. Apologies to Mikel Bridges because he's been fantastic in this stretch. Yeah, and it's just a matter of can he keep this up? I think, you know what I think? I, I really believe that, that Mikhail Bridges is just one of those guys that, you know, he, he's an emotional player. He wears his heart on his sleeve, and when he's got all his boys around him and they're all playing well, it lifts him up. Yeah. And and you saw that with the return of Cam Johnson. The return of Cam Johnson brought something out of Mikhail Bridges that, that was not there without him. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but it was something. Because they're twins, Vinny. Yeah. You know what they say about twins? What's that? Well, now they're triplets. Did you hear? They, That's right. They adopted Josh Okogie. They're so. triplets now. I saw that. I saw. I thought that was wow. The brotherhood is growing. Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty good treatment for a guy on a second ten day contract. No, that's uh, that's Saban Lee. Oh, that's Saban Lee. You got to say that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's what I read. Yeah, sorry about that. But that nope. that's well deserving too. By the way, Saban Lee not related to any of them apparently. Although same last name as Damian Lee. Oh, yeah, but he's maybe not they're a, twins. He's not a quadruplet. Oh. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. They just need to get more chemistry so they can have quintuplets and sextuplets by the end of the year. This has uh, been one weird NBA. Not oh just locally. Goodness. This has been one bizarre NBA season. You ain't kidding. And Memphis was part of it on Friday night in L.A. with that whole Shannon Sharp, Dylan Brooks, John Morant thing. Sweater John Morant's dad. Yeah, that was one bulky sweater Shannon had on, huh? Uh, you can text your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. Coming up next, Cardinals still on the search for a head coach. Another interview happening today. Could Brian Flores be the guy to take the helm? We'll get into that and more next. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata Mornings, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the Cardinals head coaching search update, 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 update. Oh, it's Monday here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader, Bickley and Murata mornings, live from the Auction Community Studios. Dan Bickley, Vince Murata, Sarah Cazell, Jarrett Carlin, taking you up until 10 o'clock. Shut up, Jarrett. Shut up, Jarrett. Even Shut though, up, me. Even though you haven't said much this yeah. uh, this morning. You awake today, Jarrett? What's the matter with you? <laughs> I'm trying to balance talking too much with not talking enough. Ooh, I'm trying to figure it out goals. from the beginning here. At good the, dav goals. Yeah, it is a fine balance. <laughs> Hard to navigate it's very sometimes. Good dav goals. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Big New Year, new me. Uh-huh. You said something earlier this morning on the Cardinals coaching front. Uh, and in case you're just joining us, welcome. Where you been? We start at six. Yeah, a- come on now. Is mandatory. Slacker. However, um, over the weekend, Amico Ryan's was scheduled to meet with the Cardinals for their head coaching position. Uh, that did not happen. He called off the interview. He had two interviews. He called off two interviews. They did have a pretty big playoff game yesterday to get ready for. Um, Brian Flores. On the Pittsburgh Steelers coaching staff, former Dolphins head coach, is scheduled to interview today. You went as far as to say 
the feeling you have is you wouldn't be surprised if Brian Flores is named as early as tomorrow. Yeah, because I think that when you start looking at the candidates the son, or that the Cardinals are looking at, they, they've rolled through a lot of dudes. There's, uh, they're what, nine deep into their coaching search? Ten? Yeah, when you nine, add Dan ten? Quinn to the mix, the, uh, the list is Vance Joseph, Sean Payton, kind of, D'Amico Ryans, Brian Flores, Frank Reich, Ejero Ivero, Aaron Glenn, and Dan Quinn on the list. Yeah, so I think that when I look at this, there's three names that jump off the list at me. Number one would be Sean Payton. That would be obvious, but it, it appears to me that the Cardinals, while uh, initially into the idea of Sean Payton, I think they've gotten sticker shock. And I think that, you know, Michael Bidwell is looking at the fact that I replaced a GM. I allowed him to hire an assistant GM. I'm paying a head coach and, and whoever else I fired on the way out. Uh, I've spent enough money. That's what it feels like to me. It feels like to me the Cardinals know that Sean Payton would be a great fit and a great answer, but they've got sticker shock. Um, the D'Amico Ryans thing, I think D'Amico Ryans has tapped out of, of interest. The Suns cannot even talk to or, why do I keep saying the Suns? The Cardinals can't even talk to him again until January 30th, which, which means are, are you really going to wait that long? to talk uh, to, to continue this process so that that to me is a no uh, then you look at Frank Reich who's got the requisite experience and I like that idea a lot but Frank Reich is not is not that commanding authoritative personality that I really think is is inviolate to Michael Bidwell I think that is going to be something that he is going to want in his next head coach the ability to chew somebody out the ability to put down uh, as and instill some discipline because uh, let's be honest, the team needs it badly. Michael Bidwell wouldn't be wrong for looking for that, in my opinion. So you so you, you start carving that off, and now you got a bunch of guys without experience who I want no part of, and then you got this Brian Flores piece that is not wanted by anybody else in the NFL as a head coach, a guy that has sued the NFL, that, that came at the NFL unlike really any other head coach ever has. And and so it's a market of one. It just feels to me like this time in this situation seems to be pretty much perfectly suited to what Brian Flores might bring you. you but here's the thing. You could be right, though. But are you discounting the, the presence of Vance Joseph? I, again, I listen. I, I I've, I'm a big Vance Joseph fan, but I, I I've come around to where you are at with this. And that would be I don't think you can promote anybody from within, from the last two years. I think that that would be really a sign of just tepid commitment to winning, mm-hmm. even if Vance Joseph deserves the yeah. job. Here's the bigger question, though. What if what if Brian Flores, at the end of this all, goes, no, I'm good. I, I don't want to work for you after what you did to Steve Wilkes. Could happen. Are you willing if you're... I, I mean, I'm not going to sit here go and try to... I mean, he's doing the interview. I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to try to what dig is, into the psychology mean, of Brian Flores, but if that was if that was a potential issue, you're probably not... You're probably not taking the interview. Or, 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 or you're giving them the interview to see what they're all about. Exactly. See if the organization has changed at all yeah. since Steve see, Wilkes right. was here. Exactly. You, you, so if you're Brian Flores, you certainly know what Steve Wilkes thinks about Michael Bidwell and the Arizona Cardinals, but now you go in for yourself. Mm-hmm. And and is, so, so I think that, so if the Cardinals want Brian Flores, they better act like it, is what, is what I'm saying. They better, they better not be 
tepid in their approach or act like he's lucky to be interviewing with them. Well, we got to remember, too, that the general manager who hired and then fired Steve Wilkes in a calendar year is no longer with that the organization. Well, and that yeah, Brian, Brian Flores, Flores be, has yeah. a lot of experience with the guy that's going to be sitting that's in that right. interview room that's in Monte right. Osenfort. So, so I do like their choices or their chances, and I do think that, you know, if, if you're really not going to make a run at Sean Payton, it certainly, it certainly doesn't seem like that to me. Um, and even though I like the idea of Frank Reich developing a quarterback and bringing experience to the job, I, I don't think organizationally he's going to cast the vibe they're looking for. It, it just feels to me like Brian Flores is the perfect fit for what they think they need here. See, the Frank Reich piece for me is intriguing. And, yeah, we talked to Bob Kravitz last week, a longtime sports writer from, from Indianapolis. And if you want to know anything about sports in that city, Bob Kravitz is the guy to talk to. But he did say it. Like, Frank Reich is not the tough guy. He's not the disciplinarian. He's not the yeller. And I know there's a lot of people that feel the way that you do, that, that, that there needs to be the overcorrection from from the – laid-back approach that Cliff Kingsbury took as a head coach, you probably need to go further in the opposite direction to have one of those guys that's a little bit more intense. Frank Reich doesn't check that box, but the box that he does check that is very intriguing to me because for the next two years at least, you've got to still try to unlock Kyler Murray. The financial commitment you've made to that quarterback is immense. You've got to get him right or else success will elude you. Frank Reich as an offensive mind, as an experienced coordinator, an experienced head coach, a guy who's been at the helm as a coordinator of a Super Bowl winning team in Philadelphia, what those fresh eyes can do for Kyler Murray, and you're not coming in with a gimmicky offense to to present to Kyler Murray. That's still very intriguing to me. Uh, okay, almost yeah, intriguing uh, enough to, to for me to to dismiss or. Maybe put less emphasis on the the lack of discipline or, okay. or or the lack of toughness from from Frank Reich. I just want to see again Kyler Murray working with a proven offensive mind, and I think Frank Reich is that guy. Yeah, uh, and again, I do I do think you're right about that. That's that I wouldn't I wouldn't think I wouldn't throw up my hands and go, "What are they thinking?" Yeah, I'm just projecting what I think Michael Bidwell is thinking. Okay. Fair enough, and uh, we'll see if you're uh, if you're right because that interview with uh, Brian Flores is scheduled to go down today, according to reports. Innings Festival is back, the two day music festival featuring Green Day, Eddie Vedder, Weezer, The Offspring, and so many more returns to Tempe Beach Park February 25th and 26th. Tickets are on sale, and you can head to the contest page at ArizonaSports.com though, and uh, complete details and your chance to win tickets right there. Coming up next, Sarah Cazell takes us through the big stories of the day on this Monday. It's the Rush Hour Reboot. It's Bickley Barana Mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Barana Mornings. Rush Hour Reboot. Rush Hour Reboot. Getting you up to speed on everything happening in sports this morning. Brought to you by Brooklyn Betting. Arizona built for America's dreams. To Bickley and Murata mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. A very happy Monday to all of you tuning in right now. I am Sarah Cazell with Dan Bickley. Hey, with Vince Murata. I'm not a talker. I'm not a talker. I'm- you're not a talker? Is that what it said? Not today. I'm not talking not today. anymore today. Okay, great. And Jarrett Carlin taking the place of Vince Morata today. I would like to publicly flog myself 
<laughs> now, what in the world were you talking about there? I have no idea. That's okay. year. That's years old, is it not? It's from August 23rd. I'm not sure if it's for this year or last year. I don't remember saying that. Well, it sounded like it was maybe a remote. I don't remember saying anything I say, so. <laughs> True. All right. This is the Rush Hour Reboot. We uh, get you caught up on all the big stories of the day. That's what happens every day at 730. And we're going to start off with the Phoenix Suns, who have won three straight now against the Nets, the Pacers. And then last night, they beat the Memphis Grizzlies. Not bad. They had Chris Paul back for the first time since January 6th. Chris Paul had 22 points, 11 assists and three steals. Mikhail Bridges had 24 points and Tori Craig nice game. 20 points on seven of nine shooting including four of six from three. Now despite having a 29 point lead early in the third, the Suns let it get down to single digits in the final stretch of the game but they were able to hold on a two point win 112 to 110. Here is head coach Monty Williams after pulling off that win. I don't, I don't think we had that level of stamina and poise um, a few weeks ago especially on the road. When we played so many games on the road, um, missing guys. So, again, when you can win close games like that, I think it gives you confidence. And those experiences are, are ones we can, you know, look at the tape and show our guys what we can do better, what we did well. You know, it just goes back to your corporate knowledge. When you can build that, especially with so many guys playing in different roles, I think it helps you as a team. What did you guys see in Chris Paul's return? I, I saw I saw a team that that clearly was welcoming him back and hoping that he would be like the old Chris Paul. And I think that his first quarter sort of provided that. And I think it really kind of lifted this team emotionally, and they kind of rolled with that. That's what I saw. Yeah, he looked really refreshed early yeah. on. If you look at those first quarter numbers that Vic just alluded to, 15 points on 6 of 9 shooting, hit three threes. Uh, two assists, a steal, three rebounds. He looked like the Chris Paul of old. Now, it didn't last throughout the game. There were times where the offense bogged down, but luckily for the Suns, they had built such a lead um, at that point that you know they were able to withstand that. There's just a reassurance, especially going through the stretch where the Suns, have, they've had a hard time putting guards on the floor, mm-hmm. let alone a point guard of Chris Paul's quality, but there was a, a reassuring feel to, to Chris Paul. Paul's return last night, and Monty, um, you know, talked about it after the game. When it started to get close, Chris Paul came back in the game a little earlier than they would have planned. He played 38 minutes in his return. That's a big workload for him, and uh, they needed every second of that because uh, that, that was a good win, a big win for the Suns. And I, I think on the flip side of it, a really bad loss for the Memphis Grizzlies I agree to come to in that. here and, and and to get dominated by a shorthanded team like that when they were riding high. They're probably looking at themselves a little bit this morning. Well, and and. And for them to rally the way they did in the fourth quarter because they had clearly far more talent available last mm-hmm. night than right. the Suns did, that's a bad look, too. When you can suddenly turn it on because you've underestimated your opponent for three quarters and nearly win, mm-hmm. I think that makes the loss doubly worse. Yeah, I agree. That's fair. Well, Mikel Bridges is enjoying the win for the Suns. He said after the game he hopes that win can be the catalyst for piling up some more wins. It's just to trust the confidence and getting guys back is, is great. Um, yeah, it's just once you get that winning feel, it's it's, it's contagious, and it's just we all have, we all feel it, and we all know what that that feeling is. And since we're winning three, we just we just want to keep it going, keep going. Got a lot of catching up to do.
All right, let's talk about that catching up. Uh, right now, there's a cluster of teams in the West, a cluster of four teams, seeds three through six, and the Suns are seven right now. The Suns are three and a half games back of the Kings, who are the third spot in the West right now. It's the Kings with 26 wins, the Pelicans with 26 wins, the Mavs with 25, the Clippers with 25, and then the Suns with 24. How much ground do you think the Suns can make up in the West while Devin Booker remains out? I talked about it in Vinny's view, and I'm not predicting it will happen, but there's a chance with this stretch of games that they have coming up, they could reel off like five more wins in a row. So he's talking about an eight-game winning streak suddenly Which, out of the blue for this basketball but, team. But it, uh, and a lot of it has to do with you know getting this stretch of games against beatable opponents right now. I did not expect them to win last night. I'll be completely honest sure. about it. But, no, I don't think anybody did. No, but when you have the teams like Charlotte and and, and you know uh, Toronto's really struggling. Spurs you got a game against out. San Antonio. Yeah. Um, there's a game. You know, uh, uh, Dallas is, is is not any great shakes right now. They're kind of they're kind of struggling a little bit. They could make up a lot of ground, and it's so funny that you know at twenty four and twenty four they've moved back into seventh after being what eleventh no. last week. I I think a lot of what's happening, and I may be way wrong about this, but what I'm seeing with especially with Josh Okogie and Saban Lee when he plays, I'm seeing a different basketball team. I'm seeing a team that doesn't mind attacking the rim, playing physical, going for offensive rebounds, and I'm not trying to pin all this on Da, but they just don't feel soft. When these guys are are the core of what they're doing, and a lot of games that I watch with Da playing with the sun, they look soft. And a lot of when they fell three games under five hundred, they had looked soft for a long period of time. They don't strike me as soft when those guys play. Yeah. So I don't know. And I think that really stood out Saturday night against Indiana. Josh Okogie was ultra yeah. aggressive. He shot yeah. fifteen free throws. Yeah, in that game. that's what I'm saying. I mean, it, it's like these two guys were. I mean, they're they're basically NBA nobodies, and yet the Suns. Suddenly, are now rebounding at ad- at an adequate level and shooting free throws at an adequate level. Mm-hmm. What does that tell you? Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get to the Arizona Cardinals quickly. You just, uh, in the last segment, talked about their ongoing search for their next head coach. But these are the top stories of the day, so we're running it back. Jay Glazer, he reported yesterday on Fox that D'Amico Ryan, the 49ers defensive coordinator, canceled his interviews with the Cardinals and the Colts for their head coach openings over the weekend. Here's Glazer. 49ers defensive coordinator D'Amico Ryan, he's in demand for a head coaching job. And how about this? He actually had four job interviews lined up for yesterday got through the first two which were the Broncos and the Texans and said I'm going to cancel the other two because I have to get back and really focus on the Dallas Cowboys so canceled on the Cardinals and they canceled on the Colts can you imagine having four job interviews in one day? No. Looking at your your schedule and being like oh yes I would love to work for the the Colts yeah. Right? Huh. That's you, right? Right. The That's you, oh, right? And who are you again? Yeah. Exactly. That sounds torturous. Sounds you have to talk about yourself that much <laughs> in one day. Right. Okay, what would be more disappointing to you, assuming that D'Amico Ryans does not reschedule, and Bick, you said earlier you think Houston is going to be the destination for him, what would be more disappointing to you guys? The Cardinals not getting a chance to interview D'Amico Ryans, who seems like a, a, a potentially promising candidate, or being granted an interview for Sean Payton but not actually getting one? What would be more disappointing? More disappointing. Keeping expectations in mind. I think the latter. 
I still, even if Sean Payton's got these just ridiculous demands, and the Saints have these ridiculous demands on what it's going to take to, mm-hmm. to to secure his services through trade compensation, you still want to pick the guy's brain. I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know what you gain by not interviewing him, especially if you put in the request and and got through the opening gate. I, I, yeah, I think it's silly not to do that. What's getting in the way of it? Of Sean Payton interview? Like 20 plus million dollars? <laughs> you look poor. I'm not coming there. <laughs> I'm poor. Uh, two draft picks, two first round draft picks, maybe could be. Yeah. I don't know. There could so, be that attitude. Like, why go down this road? Why? Yeah, just don't what even if we, have the What if we sit down to pick Sean Payton's and, brain and we want him so bad that we're actually lured to do this? But but again, it, it, but 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 the impact coaches in the NFL they generally are worth it. I mean, it, it's and it's not money against the salary cap. Plus, nobody's got, making that kind of cash though. No, I know, I know. But 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 you're also, as I've said before, too. You're in a division that's got an impact coach and. Kyle Shanahan and two great culture builders and Pete Carroll and and Sean McVay. So I mean, an impact coach and two Super Bowl winners. Yeah. So I, it's that's that's kind of what you got to compete with. If you really want to win a division, like Monty Austin Fort said, you really want to compete for a Super Bowl, like you said. Yeah. Well. Maybe we'll have some answers. You've been today. rebooted. Yes, we have. Thank you, Sarah. Rush Hour <laughs> Reboot every morning at 7.30. Coming up next, we will get the lowdown on another head coaching candidate of the Arizona Cardinals, Aaron Glenn, the defensive coordinator of the Detroit Lions. We will talk to Tim Twentyman, senior writer from DetroitLions.com, about that and more next. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. The local sports leader. Arizona Sports. The Cardinals head coaching search update. 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 Cardinals still on the lookout for their next head coach after firing Cliff Kingsbury two weeks ago. Another candidate on that list, defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn from the Detroit Lions. And uh, here to give us a closer look at the candidate from DetroitLions.com, their senior writer Tim Twentyman joins us here on the Arizona Sports Line. Tim, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Hey, no problem, Dan. Vince, how you guys doing? Doing well. I will start with uh, the obvious question: When you look at the, uh, the, the the raw statistics of the Detroit defense, nobody gave up more yards this year than the Detroit Lions defense. Yet Aaron Glenn is a candidate for the head coaching position for the Arizona Cardinals, among at least one other. Does that surprise you? No, really, it doesn't. I, I think when you look at the Lions defense, and Aaron Glenn was through the cycle last year too, mm-hmm. um, so you know he's teams are well aware he went through this interview process and he impressed a bunch of teams and I think when you look at the raw numbers you're right the, the defensive statistics aren't really you know what you would think of a high-end coaching candidate but it really for this defense it was a tale of two halves uh, two halves of the season they obviously were, were really bad to begin the year they were historically bad um, and I think there were a couple reasons for that you know there were two guys on this defense that had played together um, of the 11 from the prior season. So I think it was a defense that early on at least was really trying to figure um, each other out with a lot of new pieces. And then they were playing a lot of young guys. I mean, some of these young guys had to grow up. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. The guys like Aiden Hutchinson, the number two overall pick, you know, started to really come on strong in the second half of the season. Kirby Joseph, an all-rookie player, um, didn't get his start really till after, you know, Tracy Walker tore his Achilles tendon, and then, you know, he ended up having four interceptions, an all-rookie player. Malcolm Rodriguez, a rookie at linebacker. So I think part of it was 
those guys had to learn each other a little bit. And part of it was just some of those young guys had to grow up. And you saw the second half of the season, that was a much better defense. And part of the reason why the Lions finished the season 8-2 and two and had a chance to make the playoffs after a 1-6 start. Now, I've joked with my partner. I, I would have thought that, it, that, that hell would freeze over before Lions assistant coaches and others were suddenly in hot demand across the NFL because the culture was so good in Detroit. But that's kind of what you guys have uh, that that's kind of building there now. Is that accurate? No, it is. I mean, you look at Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator. You know, obviously, when you look at the offensive statistics for Detroit, I mean, they were top five in pretty much every major statistical category on offense. And, um, you know, Ben Johnson was was a really hot candidate, too. And like he did three interviews and then decided just, hey, you know, I'm not quite done with this yet. Um, I really like my situation under Dan Campbell. Uh, I think I want to roll this back and, and got some unfinished business to do. So, yeah, to your point, it, it, it's a much different culture for sure. Uh, we're not used to assistant coaches, um, you know, being hot, you know, head coaching candidates. But but that's what the culture that's, that's Dan building now. And I would be really surprised if Ben Johnson wasn't a really hot candidate again next year. Um, if this Detroit Lions offense has any kind of success that it did this year. Tim Twentyman, senior writer for DetroitLions.com, our guest here on Bickley and Murata Mornings. Going back to Aaron Glenn, um, he is a candidate. Uh, he does have a lot of experience uh, around the league as a player and a coach and has also had some front office experience. But when you look at him as a guy who you've covered, Tim, what do you see as his uh, potential strengths as a head coach in this league? Well, He's really respected among the players. I mean, this is a Detroit Lions coaching staff that has a lot of players, or a lot of coaches, excuse me, that were former players. And look, that's not the end-all, be-all. You know, there are guys that have been very successful coaches in this league that never played it down, but there's a certain amount of respect. Um, when you got a guy like Aaron Glenn, who was an all-pro, did it for 15 years, um, there's a respect level there. I mean, he's not going to ask these players to do anything that he wasn't asked to do or um, you know, wouldn't do you know himself as a player, and um, he's just really well respected uh, amongst that group of guys. They'll really you, they say all this time they'll run you know through a wall for Dan Campbell, the head coach, but they'll do the same for Aaron Glenn too. He's just got a way with um, with, with with players. Um, he's not afraid to change up some things to, to to work around players. I mean, a great example is you know Aiden Hutchinson, the number two overall pick, was was kind of a hand in the dirt edge rusher early in the year, and, and Aiden Hutchinson went to him and said, "Look, I had a lot of success at Michigan, kind of standing up out of a two point, moving around a little bit. Is there any way I can you know maybe we can incorporate some of that? See if I you know it'll help. I can see the field a little bit better. And, and instead of no, this is how we do it." Uh, put your hand in the dirt, go get the quarterback. That's kind of our scheme. He was like, oh, you know, okay, let, let's try this. They, they stood Aiden up. They moved him around, uh, did some things, and Aiden kind of took off. That's when we really saw that stretch of, of games that have put him into a NFL Rookie of the Year candidate. So, you know, I think he's one of those guys that, that's really well-respected by players, but he isn't afraid to change it up a little bit, too, and, and maybe cater to some players' um, you know, wants and needs and, and adapt scheme to what he's got and what the players want to do. And I, I I think that's a quality of, of of a good coordinator and could be also as a good head coach as well. All right, as my partner pointed out, it's not just Aaron Glenn who drew some interest. Uh, Dave Sears, who was your director of collegiate scouting in Detroit, um, hired to be assistant GM uh, under Monty Austin Ford. It, it, is there a scouting report on Dave Sears, or was he largely anonymous? Yeah, you know, he didn't talk to the media a whole ton, but I can tell you this, he's very well respected by Brad Holmes, the, the mm-hmm. general manager here, and all you have to do is kind of look at his resume over the last two years in Detroit, and, and 
I think Detroit's drafted probably as well as any team in the league over the last two years. I mean, guys like Penny Sewell, Amon Ross St. Brown is the 17th receiver taken in 2021. I mean, he's on his way to superstardom. Um, even this year, we talked about some of the guys, Aiden Hutchinson, number two. That was kind of a no-brainer, but you get a guy like Malcolm Rodriguez who becomes you know a key player for you, a starter at linebacker. Kirby Joseph, an all-rookie guy at safety in the third round. I mean, even James Houston, a guy in the sixth round who they kind of, you know, were figuring super talented, knew they had to get him, just kind of had to find the right way to use him. And, and then, you know, he gets his opportunity the second half of the year and has eight sacks for six games. And so yeah, it, I think just across the board over the last two years, these two rookie classes for Detroit have come impact guys and core members of, of this build moving forward. And so I think if you're Arizona, you got to be excited about getting a guy that, that's proven that he can uh, evaluate college talent and turn it into impactful players early in, the, in their career. I know I know Dave's got a lot of respect uh, in Detroit. Tim Twentyman from DetroitLions.com, our guest here on Bickley and Murata Mornings. Before we let you go, uh, Tim, we just uh, endured, I think is the word I'll use. We endured nine <laughs> weeks of in-season Arizona Cardinals hard knocks. <laughs> uh, and it was really a, a, a total turnoff where nothing really happened during the show. Yet the Detroit version of it in preseason gave us Aaron Glenn and Deuce Staley on a and daily David Blau <laughs> and David Blau on a daily basis. If Aaron Glenn gets a head coaching job and leaves Detroit, is Deuce Staley going to be okay? I don't think he will be. Um, <laughs> those two were <laughs> excuse me. Those two were really yeah fun to watch, and it. It, it, it's funny because it was like that the year before too, and it's always been like that. And you could always hear those guys in training camp going after each other, and, and I think the players kind of, you know, um, you know, got some juice off that too, and and it just riled up practice. Look, Dan Campbell's all about compet- competition, whether it's on the field, in the locker room, and they got pool table, ping pong table, uh, a little golf game. I mean, they're, they're, it, it's all about competition there, and so. Um, yeah, it, it was definitely fun for the last two years. Selfishly, I kind of hope I get to uh, cover some more of it because some of that stuff got pretty animated and pretty fun. Yeah. Um, but you can ensure that if Aaron Glenn uh, gets the head coaching job there, he'll find somebody on that Arizona staff, <laughs> even if he's the head coach, that, that he'll challenge and go after it. That's just the competitive nature of Aaron Glenn. Very good. Tim, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate you carving out some time for us today. All right, guys. Thank you, Tim Twentyman, senior writer, DetroitLions.com. He joined us on the Arizona Sports Line. Hey, 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 it's 8 o'clock. We're halfway through on this Monday. Bick's going to kick off the second half with the blast. With some fire! It's Bickley and Murata mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.